how I'm treated? Am I being included? Are people telling me what's going on? Am I connected to my team? Does my manager allow me to grow and develop? Am I being given clear direction? Do I know what my priorities are? Do I understand how my job aligns to the wider direction and purpose of the company? There's so many other environmental factors that can get in the way of us doing a great job. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Dear listeners of Superhumans at Work podcast by Valley, be sure to tune in regularly where we have two episodes every single week bringing you new guests, new ideas around leadership, communication, productivity, and more. And if you're enjoying this and you're just tuning in, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can never miss an episode and always be tuning in to the latest content coming through. So now let's get started with today's episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I have today is a thought leader when it comes to conscious leadership. Natasha Wallace speaks around the world and is the author of The Conscious Effect, The 50 Lessons for Better Organizational Well-Being. A lot of her thoughts are all around why is it so important to focus on employee well-being? Is it a distraction? Is it what companies should do, especially in times of crisis, to get the company to grow, to innovate, to scale? Or is it a distraction from focusing on the bottom line? We're going to be debating these ideas and Natasha is going to enlighten us with some of the best practices that we can do within our teams or within ourselves to ensure that we are at the highest productivity and ensuring that the organization is doing the best that it can. Natasha, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So I wanted to kind of understand your journey. How did you find yourself getting into the space of conscious leadership what was your journey to bring you to the point where you're speaking on stages leading organizations around the world on how to implement these practices well i'd worked in human resources for most of my career and most of my work was around what we call in hr organizational development so anything to do with enhancing developing changing the culture structures of the organization to make it better, to increase performance, basically. And I had done a significant amount of work around leadership development and creating the best place to work. So that's around embedding values, how we show up as leaders, how people experience their jobs, how they experience the workplace. And as somebody who specialized in people and on getting leaders to where they needed to be to produce the best results, I burnt out myself, um, which was a massive shock to my system because I just didn't expect that that would happen. And what dawned on me was that, you know, you can read all of the management books that you need to read. You can do a ton of leadership development. You can work on embedding values. You can work on being a high performance team. But if you don't take care of yourself and if you don't look out for yourself and if you're not aware of what you need, it can happen to anybody. So I decided that I was going to start working with leaders and organizations to firstly help them avoid my fate. So to help them avoid burnout, but also to help them to really understand what led to sustainable thriving. So 
how could you achieve sustainable performance whilst taking care of people, I guess. It's fascinating because you had your own personal journey here where you actually had to kind of hit that moment where your body basically fought back and told you that you needed to slow down, you needed to readjust. And I'm seeing this trend that a lot of companies are getting a hint that they need to embrace this whole idea of well-being. So I'd be curious to know from your experience, are we noticing just organizational burnouts happening? Like, why is this well-being topic seeming to surface more now than ever in organizations? And what's the impact of that becoming such a priority? Yeah, okay. So it would be lovely to think that organizations would just take care of the well-being of their people and that they would feel like that was sort of morally the right thing to do. But of course, there is a commercial benefit to doing this. So organizations are seeing increasing levels of absence. They're seeing low productivity. So that potentially is either where people are out of the business or where they're in the business, but they're not doing as good a job as they would want people to. They're also seeing problems with attrition. So they're losing good people. This is like where the the rubber hits the road, as they say. You know, if people don't feel well at work, if they don't feel at their best, if they don't feel as though they're operating in an environment that allows them to be at their best, and if they're not working in a way which helps them to sustain their performance, what organisations will see is repressed productivity, repressed engagement, and they'll have good people leaving. So you sort of have to sort this out because... If you want to achieve short-term results, so if you're in a scale-up who wants to sell quite quickly, maybe you'd be less concerned with it because you just want to make money quickly and then you want to sell off. But there's not many there's not many businesses who want to achieve just short-term results. They want to have like a long-term revenue model, I guess. It's important to make sure that people are able to do the job in the longer term. I feel like if a company is not necessarily at a conscious level to notice that the well-being of their employees is not high, they might even think that some people's low performance or low productivity could be a result of just them not being the type of A players they wanted to have. Is that often a mistake that happens? Like companies are just like, wow, well, these people just can't deal with it and they're just not as effective. And what's the cost of not having that awareness? Yeah, I mean, sometimes that is the case. And it's not necessarily because somebody isn't effective or isn't competent. It's just because there isn't the right fit for whatever reason. Sometimes managers and employees just don't get on. Sometimes environmentally, what goes on in the culture just doesn't suit the person. But for the most part, that's not what's happening. So we now know through research that environment, so the environment that you operate in, is the most significant contributor to you not being able to perform. So whereas historically in HR, we would look at will or capability. So if somebody wasn't doing the job that we expected them to, we would say, right, is this because they just don't want to and they're just being difficult or they're just not trying hard enough? Or is it because they're just not able to, they're not good enough, they're not right for the job or they're not capable enough? But now we recognize that environment just plays so much more of a role in this. And environment could be anything. So it could be everything from not having the right policies and procedures, not having the right tools to do your job, not having enough resources. But it's also about how I'm treated. Am I being included? Are people telling me what's going on? Am I connected to my team? Does my manager allow me to grow and develop? 
Am I being given clear direction? Do I know what my priorities are? Do I understand how my job aligns to the wider direction and purpose of the company? There's so many other environmental factors that can get in the way of us doing a great job. And am I being worked too hard? Am I being pushed too hard? You see a lot of competence being pushed to the point of incompetence. And we know that workload is a significant contributor to underperformance or to impacted performance. And we also know that poor management is too. So, you know, we've got all this data now. It's fascinating because as you're listing all of these things, there's a couple of them that I know I thought about the times that I had low performance in my own work. And I think one of the biggest ones was when I didn't have a clear visibility on what my priorities are and what my North Stars were. And I'd find myself working on a lot of little projects that just didn't move the needles that were actually important for the company. I kept myself busy, but then I wasn't bringing the results. I felt in that trap. And what I love about what you're saying here is that you're making me expand my mind that well-being is not just if I'm healthy, eating right, which could be the limited perception of what I thought would be taking care of employee well-being. You're talking about a lot of the psychological necessities that need to be in place from a management perspective that allows individuals to thrive within an organization, which is a lot of clarity, a lot of guidance, a lot of support, psychological safety. Am I hitting the mark at the right point here? Is this really what we're talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. So I call this internal and external factors. I talk about this in my book, where there's going to be things that you do your own behavior, the way you eat, the way you exercise, the way you sleep, your mindset, whether you've got limiting beliefs, whether you suffer with imposter syndrome, your inner critic, all of those things get in the way of you staying well. And there's the external environmental aspects too. And all of those things that you just said are so, so crucial to us doing well at work. And psychological safety and feeling safe and being able to trust the people around you at work is becoming a known, a very, very known aspect of performance and well-being. I mean, to be honest, I talk about well-being. I could be talking about performance and then saying all this stuff as well. It's all sort of intrinsically linked. Mm. And I think what happens is some maybe not so conscious organization might think that the idea of spending in well-being of employees is actually an additional cost that could even distract from performance. But what you're saying is they sit on top of each other. And so maybe I'd love to just take this towards this level of like, what is the level of awareness and how does a company become more conscious and how does that integrate with the whole well-being model? Because I know you speak about taking actions from a conscious versus unconscious space. As part of my conscious leadership model, togetherness is one of the sort of fundamental principles of it. So it's about creating an environment where people feel like they're in it together, like they're doing it together, like they have the support that they need, that they trust each other. You need a lot of sort of honesty. So we've talked about from an engagement perspective, we've talked about being honest with employees and telling them what's going on and communicating for a long, long time. But this is sort of a step beyond that. This is about how do you make sure the organization is actually doing things together? How do you make sure that they're talking to each other beyond an annual engagement survey? How do you make sure that managers are actually connected to their people and what's going on, creating the space for honest conversations? So what came to mind a moment ago was the idea of continuous performance management. So we've moved away from annual appraisals or we're moving away from annual appraisals 
to this sort of just ongoing dialogue between managers and employees, constant conversation around priorities and direction and being able to focus on what matters most and my own development as an individual and how I'm progressing and whether I feel as though I'm able to do an effective job. So, you know, togetherness and working in partnership is so, so important, as is having a clear purpose and direction. I mean, employees often just they just want to know how their role is contributing to the bigger picture. You said earlier on about doing lots of little things that didn't really make much of a difference. Nobody wants to do that. People want to feel valued. They want to feel as though they're contributing to something sort of bigger than themselves. They want to know that their work matters. And only when their work matters will you tend to find that managers will then start to give them good feedback and will start to tell them that their work matters. And then they'll want to do more. And then they'll create an emotional connection to the organization because they'll feel as though what they do is of some importance. So it's almost like sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I'd be curious to ask you right now is if I am in my workplace and let's say I am in this space where I'm taking a step back, I'm listening to this right now and I'm thinking, you know what? I do feel like some of the tasks I'm doing, I don't really know. I don't consciously do them. I feel like I've just been doing it for the sake of doing it. What's a good action that I can take if I feel that I'm not being supported with the right parameter of success or the right North Star to kind of evaluate if the work that I'm doing is contributing to something that's actually relevant to the company. What's an action that I could take? Okay, well, I mean, I would definitely speak to your manager because I think if you have a conversation with them to say, does my work matter? Is it making the biggest difference? What are the priorities at the moment? What should I be focused on? I mean, it's difficult. I think it can be really difficult for an employee to decide that in isolation of everything else that is going on. I mean, this is why you have organizations, you know, setting quarterly OKRs and this whole agile approach to work where, you know, you're checking in every couple of weeks, what's next, what's next, rather than the waterfall approach to project management, where you would sort of set out everything for a year and then work on that. That just doesn't work because things change so much. It's why they need to be agile. So get really clear with yourself and your manager about what your OKRs are, what your objectives are, what the priorities are, and then you backfill what you need to do in around that. And then keep on checking in to see if that's still the most important thing that you need to work on. Mm, I love it. We actually just finished a round of OKR check-ins here at Mind Valley since the quarter started, I guess, a month ago. And we were actually late given that COVID came in. We we're recording this from home, by the way. We're in the middle of our quarantine time here during the COVID-19 crisis. And so we definitely saw that, oh my God, we're doing our quarterly planning. We had everything set. Then it came that everything needed to pivot. So everyone kind of went back to look at the OKRs. And it's, it's interesting because it's, you're right. When I take the time to step back from my busyness, to look back at the OKRs, for people listening here, OKR standing for Objectives and Key Results is a management framework. I believe it's from Measuring What Matters by John Doerr. And so in essence, I went back and I'm like, okay, what are the things that I actually contribute to? And I would say I'm what they call a bit of a, I guess I won't sugarcoat it, but I've been called cowboy within the organization because I kind of jump all over the place. And it was very interesting for me to kind of take a step back. And one of the things I realized is one of the projects I was working on that I was starting to get demotivated about because I'm coaching internally a lot of employees when it comes to productivity. 
And then I'm like, where does this fall within my own objectives? How is this really being measured for the organization? And then what I decided to do is actually book a meeting with my CHRO and say, hey, listen, I've been supporting, mentoring, coaching a lot of people, yet I don't see this being tied to any of my objectives. What I do notice is that you have an objective, which is about making sure our team is operating in a high-performance model. And I think I'm directly correlating to that result. Let's have a touch point so I can actually see what level of involvement you would like me to have and what results you'd want me to be accountable for so I could feel the momentum that I'm pushing forward with doing this activity. And so I love your advice here saying, talk to your managers, because I realized that I don't think it was a coincidence we had our conversation right now, because this is literally what I did this morning as I was starting to feel a little lost. And so go and have that conversation. And it's true, like I feel sometimes we have resistance to go and talk to our managers about these types of scenarios. It's almost like I I kicked the bucket further down the road. Why is it that we hesitate to go talk to our managers when we feel a little lost? Well, I think we want to feel competent. We want to feel as though we're just able to do a good job. We don't want to feel as though we need sort of too much hand-holding because, of course, another aspect of well-being is having autonomy. <laughs> we want to be able to just get on and do a good job. You know, going to speak to your manager doesn't mean you're not competent. It means that you're working within the bigger system, within the bigger team, in order to align your work to have a bigger impact. You know, going back to your earlier point about consciousness, only through having a conversation with yourself and your manager, who's ultimately responsible for the overall team's performance, do you become consciously aware of whether you're on track or whether you're not on track, any adjustments that need to be made. So, you know, course correction, constant course correction in a team is fundamental to performance and therefore to you feeling like you're doing the best job and that's all we really want to do you know I doubt there's many people that come into work and think yeah I'll do mediocre I'll do mediocre today we all want to feel like we are good we want to feel as though we're valued and recognized and we're doing a good job and I would say particularly to the listeners of this podcast I know you're all trying to do incredible within your work and so have that conversation with your manager. If you're feeling a little lost, it's okay. That's actually how your well-being can improve because your manager's duty is going to be to give you more of that alignment. And if I can speak to my own record is I remember times where I felt like I was doing things that were a little disorganized. I would step back. I would kind of list down what are the major things I would execute on regularly and send it straight to Vision, the CEO of Mindvalley, and just be like, hey, by the way, this is what I'm working on. And I just need to check in if that's what's the most important for the company right now. And matter of fact is because I would proactively do that before any kind of review process, I would be recognized as someone that was always looking to do their best and ensure that I had alignment, which gave me more recognition and more, we could say, benefits from a compensation point of view over the years because I've always been proactive about doing that check-in. So if you are hesitating from speaking with your managers, I highly encourage that you do it proactively. And I wanted to close this off and maybe shifting it from a manager's perspective what are the things that managers should be doing to ensure that the well-being is being prioritized and that they're having the conversations with their teams to ensure this is all happening well? So firstly, they need to take care of their own well-being. So I don't think you can be a leader who works themselves into the ground and be taken seriously when it comes to well-being. There's two things here. So I talk about strain and obstacles. So the strain part of it is the amount of pressure you're under in your job. So is your workload too high? You're working long hours. That's either self-imposed or imposed by your organization. Are you under a lot of emotional strain for whatever reason? 
And then there's the obstacles. So the things in your way of doing a great job. So, you know, as a leader, you need to be making sure the obstacles are removed for people and that they're not under too much strain. But of course, that means working in a way that you're not under too much strain. Otherwise, it's very difficult to be conscious. If you're under a tremendous amount of pressure, if you're stressed, if you're feeling the pressure, it's really, really difficult to be conscious of other people's needs. So, you know, I always say to the leaders, put your oxygen mask on first. Are you working in a balanced way? Are you role modeling good behavior? You know, if you were a parent and your kids were looking to you as a sort of role model of great, healthy working behavior, like where are you at? How are you working? So you have to really check in with yourself there. Because, of course, you know, if you're reducing your workload or if you're taking regular breaks or if you're taking time off, proper time off where you don't check in on your emails whilst you're away from the office, And if you are taking care of yourself, I would be talking about that so that other people in your team are sort of hearing what you're saying and they see that that's an important part of work. And then as a leader, you need to be trying to remove the obstacles that are getting in the way of your people doing great work. And that can be everything from creating an environment where they feel okay to speak up about how they're feeling, being honest about how they're feeling. But also it's about making sure that sort of environmentally the blockers are being removed, them being effective. And that can be everything from are they really clear about their priorities and their direction? And, you know, in terms of relationships in the team, are people getting on well? Are they cohesed? How can I help that? I mean, I would just say read my book. It's all in there. (laughs) That's amazing. Natasha Wallace, thank you so much for coming here and sharing us these quick insights. And again, do have a look at the book, Conscious Effect, The 50 Lessons for Better Organizational Well-Being. As you know, here at Valley, we're all about promoting employee well-being as well as organizational well-being. And so anything that's driving this mission forward is something we want to support full-handedly. And so do have a look at this book. Do look up for Natasha Wallace. We'll have all the links in the show notes so you can dig deeper into the subject. And the key thing to remember from our conversation today is that when you actually look at employee well-being and organizational well-being, it is not something that is at a compromise or opposite ends of the performance of the organization. It sits directly on top of performance. It is the long-term solution to get the organization to grow, to innovate, to scale, to generate sustainable revenues, and to solve problems in the world and make a true impact. The only exception that was highlighted here by Natasha is if you're just going for a quick money grab, which most companies are not in the business of doing. The businesses exist to solve problems in the world. And if you can keep the well-being as a priority for your employees, you find that everybody's going to be focusing on solving the problems that the company exists for. And the biggest things we want to make sure that people have is clarity on their priorities, clarity on their roles. As an employee, get curious, go and ask for clarification. If you're feeling a little busy for the sake of busy, stop, look at what you're actually doing. Have that conversation with your manager to show that you're proactive about your well-being, your priorities, so you're working on the things that matter. And if you are a manager, take care of yourself first, and then you'll see that once you have your oxygen, your well-being is taken care of, you can be more there for the people on your team to make sure that they move forward with clarity, they know their priorities, their well-being is well taken care of, and the organization is on its way for sustainable growth and greater impact. Natasha Wallace, thanks again for coming on the show. This was a great conversation. And for all the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.